What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, uh, Identification and Implication of Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports, or REDS. Uh, we are live at Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update today with uh, Christina Curry-King. I'm your host, Ray Olivo. Join, join us in our conversation on sportsmedicinebroadcast.com backslash relative energy deficiency. Christina, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, yeah. Um, just going to run through a couple questions here based on uh, your presentation today and just mm-hmm. kind of have a conversation about it with you. Great. Um, so I know you mentioned um, some baseline tools uh, that you can use to identify identify students or, or patients yeah. um, with REDS. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about those and yeah. if there's any other uh, potential surveys, forms that, yeah. you would, that, that you would use in your population? Definitely. So um, energy deficiency is defined, um, I guess, scientifically using um, their energy intake. So if you can track calories in, if you can measure energy expenditure via exercise, and then if you can measure their fat-free mass in kilograms, a lot of times that's hard to do and not your average athletic trainer probably isn't going to have the tools necessary to do all of that. Um, So instead, they have created a few questionnaires which have been validated in the research. And so one of them is going to be the LEAF-Q, L-E-A-F-Q. And so that's going to be a little bit more extensive um, in terms of questions. So 50 to 75 questions. And that has been validated for um, determining low energy availability in athletes. Um, the other one is going to be the BDA, BEDAQ, um, or sorry, the BEA, <laughs> BEAD9, I think. Um, so it's nine questions. And so um, and that one's a lot shorter and can go a lot quicker. So if you know you've got an at-risk population, whether it's cross-country, dance, um, sports like wrestling, where they're fitting into weight classes, giving those athletes nine questions to fill out and you can kind of, um, you can quantify their risk for energy or low energy availability sure. using that. So once you identify these students or patients that are at risk, mm-hmm. what what's next? What do you yeah. do? Yeah. So yeah, that is the thing, right? So once you identify the risk, you're kind of liable to um, to fix it or address it. Right. Um, and so really, what I try to do is sit down with the athlete individually and say, you know, try to get a 24 hour recall. And so that's really illuminating for me in terms of what are they eating on a daily basis? What's kind of their their regular pattern around practice times or training and things like that? Mm-hmm. And so and really just kind of address it from there. So if it's you know maybe something that's inadvertent where they're they're just missing meals around training times for whatever reason well let's problem solve from there and see if we can get you a quick snack or can we pack something beforehand can I help you brainstorm some easy options Um, or you know maybe we identify someone who's struggling a little bit with certain foods okay well are they've eliminated certain foods from their diet okay can we we got to find a way to make up for those foods. So what can we find to add back into your diet to address that potential for energy, for low energy availability? Sure. sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I know we can always look at things on an, on an objective scale, right? Yeah. So like you said, an athlete comes to you, they wrote down what they had for breakfast, mm-hmm. snack, lunch, dinner, X, Y, Z. Um, and maybe they feel like that's, that's an adequate plan for them. Right. right. But what about the subjective, uh, portion of that evaluation? So mm-hmm. when a student athlete or patient comes to you and they say, you know what, Christina, um, or whatever athletic trainer they go to and yeah. they say, Hey, I, 
I still feel like junk when mm. I'm training or yeah. when I'm at practice or when we're in the weight room. Yeah. Um, how do you kind of use those subjective measurements uh, yeah. to, to change around your plan? Yeah. So I would say, you know, I try to get to the bottom of, you know, what exactly they're feeling and when they're feeling it. So if they're telling me they're still lethargic, they're still tired, they don't feel like they're recovering as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we need to make sure that we're getting good food in around those training times. And then I would also ask them about their sleep. That's a huge part of it. So are they sleeping effectively? Um, you know, or, um, if it's more, you know, they are still hesitant to be around foods or they're hesitant to eat, um, before, after maybe just kind of probing a little bit more and figuring out is, you know, did they read something somewhere that was maybe, um, not quite true or is there something that's making them fearful? Are they fearful of weight gain? Are Mm -hmm. they fearful of not being able to perform? Um, maybe they had a bad experience with a certain food and so now they don't want to eat at all before practice. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think just continuing to ask questions and tease that out a little bit more and you know there's a lot of psychology that goes into food (laughs) and so you know maybe it is time to kind of refer it out to someone who can address the the psychological side of it too awesome Mm -hmm. awesome so what is your relationship or what what do you recommend for a relationship with uh, school nutritionists, mm-hmm. or I, I should say, you're probably leaning on towards uh, like the caf- the, the cafeteria workers. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your involvement um, in your role? Number mm-hmm. one, and then number two, what's your recommendation for uh, let's say athletic training involvement yeah. with with the cafeteria? Yeah, you know, I know that some cafeterias are better than others, mm-hmm. and so just trying to make the best choices possible. So when I work with kids in a high school setting, that's my goal. So I try to figure out, okay, what are you comfortable eating in the cafeteria? Um, a lot of times it, you know, it is going to be fried or battered. And so, but I'd rather them eat something at that point. And then, you know, is there a vegetable that you do like? So maybe the green beans aren't terrible at the cafeteria. So can I encourage you, can we get some color? So let's work to, you know, we can have our chicken and we can have, you know, the baked potato and that's kind of beige and brown. Well, Mm. can we add a little bit of fruit or vegetable in there and just bring some color into it? So it's even as simple as that, just trying to make the best of that. Or, you know, can they bring something from home just to add to that lunch? So if they know um, that Wednesday's lunch is pretty crummy, then, okay, you know, get what you can, but maybe we have some snacks in our bag just in case we don't love that meal. Right. What about your kids on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum? Mm, yeah. So th- those folks who are, yeah. and I'm sure you deal with this a lot. Yes, um, yeah. You know, those folks who, uh, you know, have first period athletic period, mm-hmm. but they didn't have breakfast and guess what? They didn't have dinner the night before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now they're coming to you and they're saying, hey, I, I, I can't function essentially mm-hmm. i can't squat i can't yeah. run etc yeah um what is your recommendation for uh let's say a, a pre-activity mm-hmm. just quick snack for these folks yeah i would say you know if they could get their hands on like a bar mm-hmm. so granola bar or if they can ask mom or dad just to have something um like that or even you know a banana or like applesauce something you know something that's shelf stable right so they don't have to keep it in a fridge necessarily um but something easy and portable um and something that's not going to break the bank either it doesn't have to be fancy but just getting you know some kind of small snack even if it's a juice before they can get to practice so apple juice orange juice something like that on their way out the door they're able to do that sure absolutely Mm. so i know that uh i personally anecdotally have dealt with a lot of kids in this particular setting, mm-hmm. um, what are your recommendations if, say, their their only means of food is, uh, you know, a Whopper or mm-hmm. a double cheeseburger from yeah. McDonald's or whatnot? Yeah. What are your recommendations in terms of, you know, say, I have little Johnny that comes to me and says, "Hey, I, you know, I can I can 
my family can only afford to go to McDonald's mm-hmm. to now and I can order off the dollar menu. Yeah. What is your recommendation in terms of dealing with that? Yeah, I think just doing the best you can yeah. with that. So, you know, on the dollar menu, is there a grilled option? Mm-hmm. Is there the yogurt parfait? Um, you know, can we find, again, something that's got a little bit of color mm-hmm. in it? You know, fruit, the apple slices, can we add that to your meal? Um, at school, you know, if we're doing school lunch, right, can we, can we try to make good choices when we can? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think just, again, and just trying to do the best with what you have in that in that case right so right mm-hmm. um going back to kind of the um baseline measurements and whatnot yeah. and identifying prospective uh you know, people at risk mm-hmm. um is there ever a time that you have personally disqualified a student athlete <laughs> from participation because of their situation yeah <laughs> um I've definitely had athletes be pulled out. So mm-hmm. they're maybe not full go. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're not participating in lifts or they're doing something that's low impact mm-hmm. or, um, you know, we've held them out of practices or games. I haven't had anyone fully taken out. Um, I think that's a really hard line to cross. And I think that's something where you probably really need your coach on board. You need your athletic trainer. You need your doc on board to say, you know, we're all in agreement that this athlete is, you know, putting themselves in harm's way by continuing to compete and train at this level. And it's almost, you know, you got to think about it as a liability to you, right? If you don't pull them out. And so, and again, you know, if they put up a stink or if their parents put up a stink, you've got to protect them from themselves or protect them from their parents in that case. And just know that if they continue down this, the results are going to be way worse than pulling them out for a few weeks to, to try to get back on track with that. Right. Um, and I know, and I know in, your, in your presentation, you had mentioned uh, just the education aspect of it, right? So yeah. in, in terms of prevention, mm-hmm. um, what is your uh, what is your involvement with school districts in the area um, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, prevention? Is it getting out prior to, you know, August or July yeah. when they get back into preseason activity for right. fall sports? Or is that something that you recommend doing on a kind of biannual basis. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say the more the better. Mm -hmm. Right. Because especially with high school kids, um, it's in one ear and out the other. And Mm -hmm. so I spend a lot of time repeating myself, which is fine (laughs) because they get it eventually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would say, you know, um, so right now I work with um, Katie Tompkins High School. And so we I'm out there on a bi-monthly or so twice a month during the school year. And so I'm there for the day to work with the athletes. And then included in that, I'll go. I've been to a few parents meetings kind of at the start of the season. And I know with um, women's track and field and cross country, it's been really impactful just because they kind of are an at-risk group to let the parents know these are things that we need to look out for. And these are the things that I'm going to be talking to your daughters about. And so I've had a pretty good response from that. And then, you know, we try to get out to, to schools kind of across the area and do presentations. And again, just building awareness and letting parents know that this is something that can happen and it's pretty easy to prevent too. Aside from wrestling Mm -hmm. and uh, track cross country, Mm -hmm. what is probably the most prevalent sport in terms of uh again being more at risk yeah for i think you look at the aesthetic sports like gymnastics ice skating even swimming you know um where your athletes are wearing minimal clothing mm-hmm. um those are ones to pay attention to so you, you mentioned wrestling jockeying i know it's not super common but it is a, a weight class sport and so those you definitely want to keep an eye on um volleyball or um 
you know, I, I tend to kind of air towards females, female sports, just because that is, um, maybe there's a little bit more pressure to look a certain way for females, but I think that it is definitely, we're starting to realize it more in males. So I don't want to, I don't want to ignore them either. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, you, you spoke about, um, a female athlete triad in your mm-hmm. presentation. Um, is there a particular socioeconomic class that you see higher incidence mm. in? That's a good question. I don't know. I haven't seen anything like that in the research. Mm. Um, you know, I guess anecdotally, maybe you would say that those that are willing to turn away food, yeah. right, maybe more at risk for something like that. In some right. cases, you may have athletes that don't have that option to restrict or, you know, it's never it's never crossed their minds to not eat a meal because maybe they don't know when the next meal is coming. And so you may see that a little bit more, but that's not something I have necessarily seen in the research. Um, that would just be me kind of speculating on that. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you also touched a little bit on, um, not exactly, you know, calorie counting or whatnot Mm -hmm. for our high school student athletes. Um, what about, what do you say to those kids that are, uh, and this is kind of a big thing right now that if it fits your macros type Mm -hmm. thing, um, and this, this body dysmorphia and stuff like that. Um, what do you do with a particular patient who comes to you? gung-ho about Mm -hmm. uh, this particular idea? Yeah, I think it's, it's really individual. So, you know, I definitely want to understand why they started doing this. Um, I'd want to take a look at their logs and things like that. If they've already, you know, started this and I feel like, you know, maybe if they're junior or senior um, and they're pretty serious about it, if I don't feel like they're maybe escalating it to an unhealthy level, then maybe I just, you know, maybe it's a matter of just making sure that they're hitting appropriate numbers, that they understand, you know, they don't need 600 grams of protein in a day or whatever. Um, and maybe it is just kind of tweaking things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's someone, you know, where they're someone's put pressure on them to lose weight and they want to start tracking calories at 15, I'd probably say, <laughs> mm, let's not. Right. Um, and so I'd probably encourage them again, just to focus on getting high quality foods yep. as much as possible, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, things like that, you know, and I would work with them on creating a plan as far as like where, when we want to eat certain kinds of foods, uh, surrounding their training times and things like that. And I would be more than happy to help them do that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't include a calorie amount in there necessarily. And so, yeah, I think again with that social media and that, um, you know, it's just been a pressure out there. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) And these kids are 15, 16, like just be a 15, 16 year old. (laughs) Don't count calories. Don't worry about macronutrients at this point in your life. Just get high quality foods as Mm. much as you can and don't go too long without eating and you're probably going to be okay. Right. So yeah. Um, you, you touched a little bit on return to play as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you talked about formulating a contract between right. student athlete, uh, athletic trainer mm-hmm. and whoever mm-hmm. in, encompasses their team, if you will. Right. Um, how important do you think it is to, um, bring coaches into the fold, um, when our athletes are so performance based, yeah. um, instead of hearing it from, you know, all oh, my, my athletic trainer said this, or, right. you know, my dietitian said this or whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you are planning on pulling an athlete out of anything, you've got to bring the coach in mm-hmm. at this point. And so, um, but sometimes, you know, I have been in situations where I've worked with the athletic trainer and other support staff without me maybe 
pulling in the coach just yet um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, maybe that's causing a little bit more psychological stress with the athlete. Right. And right. so that's, that's a thing. And so I think, again, it's individually, it's on an individual basis. So I've been in situations where we've waited to involve the coach and just see if we can address it um, with meeting with me, meeting with psychology, meeting with their athletic trainer consistently. And then if it progresses, then, and we've got to pull the athlete out of something, then yeah, we'll bring the coach in there. And then I think, again, you know, determining what type of season or what time of the season is it, if it's preseason, okay, we just pull her out right now or pull the athlete out. If it's, if it's postseason, are they in the playoffs, then we've really got to work with the coach to manage their practice time. If this athlete needs to be on the field or on the court and has a big impact on the outcome of the game, then we need to make sure that we're, we're managing that appropriately. Very good. Mm. Um, Last question for you. So how do you feel about uh, supplementation with high school age student athletes? Mm -hmm. So uh, I know there's a question out there in regards to pre-workout and whatnot. And I know that, you know, our our body creates creatine and whatnot Mm -hmm. and all these, Mm -hmm. these substrates naturally. Right. Um, What is your recommendation in terms of, uh, let's say athletes who are uh, we talked about the lower end of the socioeconomic Mm -hmm. background, those athletes who are not getting proper nutrition, but feel the need to take, these supplements because of whatever pressure there is out there, social media, et cetera. Yeah. For those cases, I would say, you know, I try to talk to them about, you're probably going to get a lot more benefit. So if they're spending their own money on those supplements and I would say, you're probably going to get a lot more benefit by going out and using that money and buying real food. Um, and so you're going to get a lot more volume for, uh, that dollar amount than you would for the supplement too, even in terms. So if their goal is weight gain, Mm -hmm. right, it's about taking in more calories than you're burning or taking in more energy than you're burning. And so you're going to be able to purchase a lot more energy in food than you ever would in a supplement. And so that would be, you know, I think it kind of depends on why they're doing it, but yeah, I would try to guide them towards, you know, doing foods first, right? That's always going to be my approach. And so, but for the athlete that, you know, is on top of their nutrition, they're eating consistently, you know, they're eating the right kinds of foods, they eat a high quality diet and they want to do creatine. Right. And so, you know, they're 17, 18, they're serious Mm -hmm. and they're lifting, um, you know, they're lifting hard and heavy and they could use some creatine, then yeah, we'll talk about it. And so, but I think, you know, they have to have checked off the boxes of good hydration, good nutrition, eating consistently before we ever talk about adding in some kind of supplementation. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I lied. This is not the last question. I got one more for you. (laughs) Um, how is, how is sleep? calculated in your evaluation? Yeah, definitely. That's a huge one for me. I think in terms of recovery, sleep is your best weapon. Mm -hmm. So there's an interesting um, book and podcast, and now I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she kind of researched and looked into all of the recovery modalities. So ice baths, infrared, you know, the cryotherapy, (laughs) everything. And by far and beyond sleep is what is most effective. So all those things will have a marginal impact on, you know, your recovery and what you're doing, but you're going to make up the most ground and you're going to have the best recovery if you sleep, right? So if you get for, and for athletes in high school and college days, like eight or nine at the minimum, right? Eight or nine hours of sleep, put the phone away, Mm -hmm. you know, put the electronics away, keep it dark, keep it cool and get high quality sleep at the same time. So yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge part. And I know high school kids are terrible sleepers, but you know, they're programmed to stay up late and they got to wake up early and then college kids too, you know, pulling the all-nighters, things like that. So 
really focusing on, you know, if they're in season or they're in times of intense training that, you know, trying to educate them that the more sleep you get, the better it's going to be. And it's probably better for you to just put the book down or close your computer and go to sleep than staying in up an extra hour or two to try to cram or do whatever, play video games. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. So we got Christina Curry King here with us today. Uh, check us out on Instagram, the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Uh, we are sponsored today by Frio Hydration. You can contact us at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com backslash relative energy deficiency. Sorry about that. Uh, for Ray Olivo, Christina Curry King, that's a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>